I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. They want benign indifference. They want us drugging. We could be pets. We could be food. But all we really are is livestock. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. The world needs a wake-up call. We're gonna phone it in. to the great deception podcast i'm your host matt thanks for joining me we got another fun one tonight we're gonna go through star forts now uh hey let me preface this by saying i am not an architect i am not a scientist what i am is asking questions okay And, and the reason why i say this is because i already had a few people blow up on twitter Oh, this is retarded, blah, blah, blah. Hey, listen, they've lied about other stuff. So why can't we question them on this? And, you know, the narrative tends to not add up. So as we dive into it, we're going we're gonna to talk about this. But what I need you to do, as with all these topics, is have an open mind, right? Even if you don't agree with it, be able to listen. Be able to take it in, be able to rationalize it, and move on, right? If it, and if you don't like something, shut it off. Move on. Don't waste your energy. Don't invest your energy into it. And and that's uh, you know, and that's one thing that you, you have to remember is what you consume with your eyes and ears is just as critical as to what you consume in your diet, right? It's all part of a healthy lifestyle. So you have to make sure you're careful to where you invest your energy, all right? Now, with that said, what I want to start this show off with is uh, a few shout outs because uh, some of my counterparts here in, in, and I really feel like we're in kind of the golden age of podcasting there's just so much great stuff out there and interesting stuff and uh, i wanted to give a shout out to my uh buddies dan and roman over at rising from the ashes podcast they're doing a uh, tartaria month um and i highly recommend to go check it out they had randy the tartarian on there they've had uh our buddy uh tarrant fireside They've had uh, Mark Steves, Michelle Gibson, and then uh, I'm going to be joining them on December 3rd, I believe it is, for a a roundtable discussion with like 10 or 11 other uh, people. So I'm really looking forward to that. So shout out to those guys. Go check out Rising from the Ashes. Uh, Another one is Upstate Unconventional, my buddy Nico. 
he's uh he's been putting out some great episodes lately i uh you know paranormal stuff and and others and i highly recommend you go check out his his podcast as well my buddy davy wavy is killing it over there the red pill cartel his uh his, his men on film he does with his buddy alan is great i highly recommend that episode and he just did a uh a music version of it with uh with our good friend shayla so i uh, check that one out too I have to shout out my buddy, Ryan. He's always putting out these wild episodes. They're great. So informative. And he's absolutely hilarious, man. You gotta, you got you guys gotta get on his Patreon. It's worth the five bucks a month. He, uh, you know, some of the stuff he does on there is so funny, man. And he's just a, just an honest dude. So if you're looking for truth, go check out Ryan at Dangerous World Podcast. Check out his store too, man. He's got great merch. I got, I honestly, I got probably about 10 of his shirts just because I love the t-shirt itself. And, and he's got some hilarious and great slogans too on there. Uh, so go to the Dangerous World uh, store, check that out. And then my buddy Jeff over at Shadow Band, man, he's been doing some great work lately too. I mean, he always does great work, but uh, you know, lately I've been really listening to every one of his shows and you know, he's all over the spectrum with topics, which is great to listen to. You know, you get stuck in listening to the same sort of topics over and over again. It'll wear on you. So uh, go check out Shadow Band Podcast and, and check out his store. He's got some good merch, too, over there. And then last but not least, my buddy Andrew from America <clears throat> over at the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I'm glad we're keeping it, the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I love the name. Uh but he's he's you know he he does kind of what I like doing is is you know combining historical things with what's going on now and showing how that kind of led to this and giving you you know a heads up that we're almost there if if, if you don't uh, pay attention things are going to get real wild here in, in the near future if we don't put up a fight. If people don't start paying attention to what's going on around them and realizing that something is off. Okay. And if you haven't gotten to that point yet, and I'm sure you're not listening to this podcast, if you are, you've realized that by now that something's not right and something's really off. And Andrew does a great job, <clears throat> excuse me, of combining the, uh, like I said, the historical stuff, he does a lot of the same topics I do as well. So uh, Andrew and I got to hook up here in the near future. So with that said, go check out those podcasts, guys. I highly recommend them. Uh, and now we'll move on to our Star Forts. So basically what we got going here is uh, if we look, Star Forts are found throughout the realm. Okay. And, and this is just, you know, this isn't a complete map. This is just to kind of show you where the main clusters of them that have been identified. Now, that's another side of this. There are many that were destroyed over time. There are many that are, have been built over. Um, many that you can still see some of the landscaping of it, but there's no longer a structure there. Now, that's not to say there's still not a structure underneath the ground, because one of the things we'll see with these star forts is not only were these facilities above ground, but a majority sometimes of them were below ground. Okay. And uh, so you look here and they're all across the, you know, basically on almost every continent. 
this is basically the same map showing you some of the bigger uh, cathedrals and, and buildings and such that they've added to it. Um, you know, they're just found. And, and, and I use this one, too, because in the other map that we looked at, there's nothing really up here in the area of Russia, which, you know, is not true. Uh, it's definitely not true. So if we uh, if we go into here, now you'll see there is some over in Russia. There's a few more in Australia. There was only one in the other map. So, you know, as this goes on, this is growing more and more and more. Okay. Again, just showing you some of the forts across the uh, uh, Eastern or Western Europe. <clears throat> you know, you'll just see they're throughout the region. Um, there are some lines to them. You know, you'll see some, uh, you know, follow, follow a line here around, but for the most part, they are scattered, but they're not significantly spread apart. Okay, so they're 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 relative in relative proximity and, and they're usually built around one another. Okay, you're not gonna find just a random star fort in the middle of nowhere uh, with nothing around it. So now one of the things I haven't looked into yet, but I plan to is ley lines and how do these play into the star forts? Do they tie into the star forts? Okay were they placed strategically based on ley lines? And, and one of the difficult things about ley lines is which set of ley lines do you go with? Okay. You look here, there's one set you look here. This is more of the flower of life version of it on a, you know, more of a UN model uh, earth. Now, before I get there, one of the things I want you to understand here is as you dig into star forts, what you're going to come out with is just more questions. There aren't a ton of answers on a lot of them. Okay. There is a narrative that, that is put out there with a lot of them. Um, you know, but at the same time, sometimes that just doesn't add up and, you know, we need to ask questions and that's the purpose of this. I, I do not claim to have answers, right? I'm just going to show you what I've found so far and the questions that I have. Because like I said, the more I dig into this, the more questions that I have. So what are the, another name for the star forts are uh, bastion forts or, you know, batteries. Okay. So what is a battery? A battery is a container consisting of one or more cells in which chemical energy is converted into electricity and used as a source of power, battery power. Interesting. We all know what, you know, what a battery does, but it also means a fortified emplacement for heavy guns, as in an anti-aircraft missile battery. Okay, now, you know how they love to use word magic. Okay, so, you know, words having multiple meanings, sometimes it is with a purpose. And if you look, I just put a quick diagram of it, you'll, you'll see the components of the battery. Okay, and, and, you know, some of it resembles the, the, the way architecture works. You have your foundation. And, and one of the interesting things is this brass rivet here in the middle is in a lot of the old buildings or centers of cities, you would find these octagonal areas with usually an obelisk or some sort of 
uh, statue there. Okay. And, and that's what that, that brass rivet reminded me of in this instance. So you'll see some similar components and, you know, you hear people talk about how the buildings were batteries possibly, or, you know, and this is kind of an example is you can kind of see what components would be comparative. <clears throat> so now as we move into star forts, okay, we'll start looking at them. They're found in, you know, over 60 countries so far. More are being unearthed, you know, day by day or discovered, at least I should say on, uh, there's a lot of people who do great work on Google Earth, people like Autodidactic. Um, they really dive into these, uh, the star forts online. John, John Levy does a great job as well. Um, and, you know, basically what we have is a variety, right? There's no two that are identical. There's no cookie cutter pattern to these things, right? So over here, we see on the left-hand side is a uh, five-sided star in Copenhagen, Denmark. And then on the right over here, we see a five-sided star shaped structure from Japan. So just to show you, Europe, Asia, they're all over the world. And the one uh, here from Japan is supposedly built in around 1855, okay? Now we start seeing star forts appear in the late four. 15th and 16th centuries, right? Um, mainly in, in Italy. Um, today, there's somewhere between, you know, 1,500 and 6,000 star forts that exist. It depends where you get the count from. And, you know, the, the list goes on and on. Some believe the number could be as high as 10,000, okay? Or over 10,000. They're just finding more and more of these every day. They kind of scattered all around the realm and they're like i said before they're found in over 60 countries now the interesting thing is is the design you know was first said to be employed by michelangelo in florence you know using defensive earthworks and uh and then his tactics were refined in in the 16th centuries by a gentleman named by the name of alcazar peruzzi and scamozzi uh you know the <laughs> In the in the 1530s and 40s is when they you know kind of give the birth to it and say it started spreading, and then from there it caught like wildfire supposedly and spread throughout Europe for the next three centuries. Okay, you'll see these built up through the 19th century, um, some in the early 20th century, but at that point supposedly they have uh, outlived their usefulness. Now, one of the interesting quotes that I found is that the, the Renaissance was hypnotized by one city type for which a century and a half was impressed upon all utopian schemes. This is the star-shaped city. And what we'll see is, is some of these were entire cities, like up here on the, on the right-hand side. This is an entire town inside of this star fort structure. And not only do you have one layer, but then you have an extra layer on the perimeter. And I'm sure there's one in the general vicinity, you know, of this. And, and there's, you know, we haven't found any rhyme or reason yet as to why, uh, you know, they are where they are, whether it's an energetic thing. But what, what you're going to see is that there's no two are the same. Okay. They're all different. Um, and, you know, like I said before, they're usually located together and, they're usually located near water. 
Okay. It's, it seems to have ties to water. Um, and, and that's where a lot of the questions come in and, you know, did they have an understanding of, of, of how to work with nature that we don't have, you know, rather than bend it to their will, like we do today, you know, we make nature serve us. Did they have nature serve them? You know, and, and, and the other interesting thing is, is some of the reading that I did, a lot of these star forts disappeared around 1812, which is right around the, you know, what we've kind of jokingly been calling World War Zero on the podcast, which is, you know, when you had Napoleon over in uh, Russia and Europe, and then you had the, uh, the American war here uh, against, it was basically France fighting England with us you know, siding with the French. Uh, so, you know, again, that just poses more questions. Why did they suddenly disappear in 1812 timeframe? Um, but then you see an uptick in the mid 1800s of them. So why did they come about these star forts? Um, well, basically because their predecessors were, you know, the big typical medieval fort, you know, like a castle. And they were usually placed high up on the hill. And, and, you know, from that vantage point, they could shoot arrows down and the higher it was, the, the farther the arrows would go and, and give them a wider range of defense, um, you know, and from a, a, an offensive perspective against them, you know, your only hope was to ram the gate or, you know, get people up and over the walls, which, you know, was a costly investment. So, uh, you know, they were, they were not easy to overcome and, uh, you know, being having to go uphill and then having to go up over a wall that, you know, is somewhat defensible, but then the game changer came in the cannonball. Okay. Or what, you know, we're told is the cannonball because that could now, you know, especially with a vertical building, just start poking holes and eventually crumble it through. So because of the cannonball, these structures were extremely vulnerable or, you know, their defensive uh, prowess had declined steadily. So these new forts came into play and they had these unique star formations or geometric formations. Okay. Uh, and, and on, they were pointed on the tips and these were called the bastions. They had, you know, usually a ditch or a waterway around the perimeter, you know, and, and what they would do is have it set up so that it would funnel or, or so we're told funnel any attack into certain areas, which would make it easily more defensible. But what they did with these, these star forts is not only did they build the walls uh, further out from the structures, but they also built them on an angle. They were steeped so that, you know, direct cannon fire would not be as, uh, causes much damage. So what this would do, it would make it much more defensible. Um, and, and, you know, you look at some of these and some of them were, you know, said to be, you know, 30 feet high, 40 feet high. Um, but you know, what happened over time is, is they would adjust because basically, like I said before, we're talking about 300 years here where we really see the star forts, um, you know, what the, what the history books tell us. And then, you know, by the late 19th century, early 20th century, when you started having the, you know, explosive shell, 
<clears throat> these types of star forts basically became obsolete you know but if you look at these two here you'll see this was a castle and what they did is 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 they reinforced it supposedly by putting a star around it and you'll look they i mean they, these are not small walls here look at the size of the gate compared to the wall i mean the, this is a monstrous fort that was built around this castle like structure and you know it is precise too I suggest that all you go check out the, you know, I'll have this on YouTube. I'll have it on Bit Shooting Odyssey as well. Check out the the presentation of it because these buildings are amazing. And we're, we're told that these are built in a time before power tools, right? No electric machinery to use it. This one here on the right was started in uh, 1300, okay? And it was gradually built over 300 years and... It was completed in 1685 to look as it is today. Okay. And it makes you wonder, how did they do this? This is amazing. It's a, it's a small town, you know, not medium-sized town inside of a star fort on an island, basically, with these beautiful landscaping. And, you know, it, it looks like a snowflake. Now, what about the cost of these things? I mean, obviously they weren't cheap, right? It, it took a lot of people to do it, a lot of labor, a lot of excavations. You know, they had to make sure they reinforced the walls properly. Otherwise, you'd have cave-ins. Um, and then they had to make sure they were durable because, you know, according to the narrative, these things are built for defensive positions, okay? They had to withstand artillery strikes, they had to be, you know, because they, a lot of times they would be ammo depots and if they were not fortified, well, they would become a bomb themselves very easily. Okay. So the, the, the walls were sloped, like I said before, you know, to blunt the fire. So now from a time frame perspective, you know, some of them were built in two to three years. Some of them were decades. Okay. And, and some of them were gradually upgraded over time. We'll see that as well on some of these. Now, the, basically the reason for that we are given for the star configuration is to eliminate dead zones. Okay. In the previous setup where they had the rounded uh, bastions, it allowed these dead zones where they couldn't fire upon, they couldn't really see, and they were vulnerable. So what they did instead was they came up with these uh, star-shaped patterns, pointed patterns, and the way that they manufactured the ditches and the canals outside, it would channel the attacking you know, troops into in, their killing ground to give them the upper hand um, and also to minimize the impact of the cannon is, is what we're told. Now we'll look here some of the different points as we, we've talked about the this the you know arrowhead like points are called bastions. Okay, these this structure over here is a half bastion. Okay. Uh, what else is important? Oh, the the ra uh, ravelins, which are these, <clears throat> they almost look like bastions on the exterior. They're separate from the structure, but they're still within the perimeter of the build of the walls. And they are mainly, you know, a, what we're told is a defensive point, one of the, you know, first lines of defense 
should this be attacked. And obviously, uh, you will have a moat or ditches all around uh, these structures to prevent any sort of uh, invasion. And here's just a little bit more detailed of it. You'll see here's the slope coming up. You know, if you're coming up the hill, up the slope, what you get up to is basically a, they would funnel you into these areas to be able to get in unless you could get up and over the wall. And then you would be in a ditch. Okay. And they'd have the upper hand, obviously, and they would have the bastion as the line of defense there or over on the right hand side here, you'll see the ravelin that they use as well as a defensive outlook or outpost, I should say. Now, what we're looking at here are some very beautiful structures. Now, the one on the left is Fort of Nosa Senora de Grasa, officially called Fort Conde de Lipe uh, in Leteno, Portugal. Okay, 1658, it was uh, completed. Now, you look at this, this is a magnificent star fort because not only is the star fort itself uh, beautiful and, and, and landscaped immaculate, but the hill that it's on is also following the pattern of the fort itself out quite a ways to the base of the hill, which is fascinating in itself. I mean, you're talking, it, it looks like, I don't know, uh, maybe I don't know, 50 yards, 100 yards or so. I mean, it's, it's long, but you look at the star fort in itself and what you have is the structure in the middle. Then we have one ring of stars out here, four-pointed star. You see the ravelin out here. We'll see the uh, half bastion out here, another ravelin out here, and then another layer of walls. It drops down, another layer of walls, it drops down, and another layer of walls. So this is an extremely well fortified, and it's up on a hill. So this is, uh, you know, this is one of the more breathtaking and interesting. And, and being built in 1658, it makes you wonder, how did they do it? How did they get all that material up there? How did they work the land like that? How did they build so precisely? It's just, it's amazing. So if you look up here on the right is upper right is Tilbury Fort. Uh, it was reinforced during 1588 uh, during the Spanish Armada invasion. Okay. Now what's interesting about this one, and you'll see this quite a bit with some of these star forts that are directly on the water. It looks like at one time it may have been a full star, but part of it fell into the water. And you're just left, this one is basically a half of a, uh, a six or seven pointed star, depending on what the top looked like. Most likely it's a six pointed star. Um, but that's an interesting one too. And one, one thing you can look into also is uh, some of these structures, what's left to it compared to what it may have been when it was originally in, in use. Now here's one from India that is a giant eight pointed star. Okay, this is in uh, Manjarabad Fort, uh, in Karnataka, India. And this was built by the Sultan in 1792 uh, as a frontier spot to store ammunition. And this is just a massive uh, fort up on a hill. Um, and it's, you know, it's a very impressive structure built in uh, the late 18th century. 
Now there's other types of forts. Like a, uh, I found the uh, polygonal uh, fort is, is, you know, it's more so showed up at the end of the 18th century. Um, and then it evolved around the mid 19th century um, based on the use of explosive shells. Um, in these structures, the majority of it's underground. Okay. So lots of tunnels and passageways underground giving um, access to the batteries, you know, and, and the people in the defensive positions to, to set up within the fort. And, and the Island of Malta is a good one. They have it. And you'll see here, there's just, again, there's layers and tunnels below ground. Um, and then there's another one over here on the right. And you'll see the shape of it. It's kind of rectangular or not really. It's polygon. So, uh, but, you know, these are usually defensive in nature from what we can tell. They don't have as uh, elaborate a uh, geometric pattern and layout. So next. So we look at the ones that are star forts that are still around today. And, and, you know, the question basically is, is were they part of something bigger? Were they part of a bigger network? Were they part of a lost civilization? You know, were they interconnected? Did they work together in some manner on some larger grid that has since been destroyed? Uh, and that's, that's, you know, one of the things that's floated out there. And there's many different types, styles, designs of these star forts. Okay. There's the four pointed star, five pointed star, the long thinny. Okay. Yes. That's the name. The, the star city itself, uh, a hedgehog, which is kind of an offshoot. You have that megalopolis. Um, and then you have like satellite or auxiliary structures on the perimeter. And then usually heavily influenced by a canal system. Okay. So now as we look into the possible purposes of the forts. Okay. And this is where you're going to lose some people because, oh, nope, they were defensive. They were to prevent cannon fire. That's it. That's the story. That's how it goes. There's no other possibility. Okay. If that's where you are with it, you probably want to end now. Um, because you're going to be triggered by the rest of this, because this is where we get into the questioning of it. And, and what could it be? What are the possibilities? What are the likelihood? What are the chances? So in addition to being a defensive structure, was it attached to some sort of energy grid or some sort of energy storage? Was it some sort of energy uh, hydraulic engineering system or water management system, a communication grid, right? Was it some way for them to communicate? Was it some sort of frequency or harmonic grid, right? Where they used ampl amplification to communicate or, or amplify those frequencies? Were they just giant amplifiers? Were they just used for efficient farming in the area? Or in addition to, okay, this isn't just saying they were just for farming. No, in addition to other uses, could they have been used for efficient farming? Could the, the patterns of the structures and the layout of the landscaping? Could it have been some sort of GPS of the past, right? They're, they're navigational landmarks for ships, airships, whatever it could be. Or they could they be some sort of living organism that interacts with the, um, with the land? And, I, you know, honestly, I don't have an answer. That's why we're here. We're here to question everything. 
Okay. So now let's get out of here. Now, an interesting one is uh, Palmanova, all right, in Italy. One of the things we look at is, you know, like we said before, they could have been used for farming, efficient farming, hydraulic engineering. They could have been part of some sort of storage or energy system or for amplification, right? In addition to being used for defense. And the one here is interesting because you look at it, it's a nine-pointed star uh, with a lot of infrastructure inside of it. It's And it's a massive complex. And what you'll see is, you have the initial ring of defense star that was set up and that was established in the late 16th century, early 17th century. Okay. Started in 1593 and went on for about 25 to 30 years. Then the second layer of construction was added, which is if you look out here, this next layer of defense was added in the star shape. And that went on from 1665 until 1683. So about 18 more years to add that on. And then they added, if you look way out here, you'll see where they added a third layer. Okay. So that would get us, that was done in the early 19th century. So they still felt that this thing had some purpose in the early 19th century to add on another layer of bastion points and, and walls going around the perimeter. Now, what's interesting about this one is the walls around the perimeter, you know, they were said to be at points 35 feet high. That's massive. 35 foot high walls to get in this structure, right? I mean, that's very well defended. And that, that's what this picture is going to show you here is look at the size of these walls and see how they're sloped up. Okay. And then look at the size of them compared to these cars going by. There's passing cars. They look like little chiclets. Okay. So these walls are massive. And this is the, the most recent layer. Or no, not the most recent. This is the second layer. And then you'll go in and back here will be the, the last layer that goes around. And the, the one that's the newest would probably be out here somewhere. But yeah, I mean, look at that. How did they, what did they have to be able to excavate that? That's, you know, part of the question that we have. What tools did they have? What knowledge did they have of the landscape to be able to do this? Uh, you know, there's just so many questions and so few answers in the, in the books. I mean, you look at some of the Bastion books and it's very, very limited information. So approximately 50% of the Starfort's actual structure is, is said to be underground, okay? It would be, uh, you know, tunnels and mazes and ammo depots, living quarters, and, and, you know, a variety of other things under there. Tunnels, escape tunnels, things like that. I'm sure they had some sort of irrigation in there, or, uh, you know, water system in there as well. Now you look at this. This is the interior of Fort Margera. Okay, this was started in 1805 as a defensive system for uh, the battle in Italy uh, between the mainland and Venice. Okay, I mean, look at all the bricks it would have taken to build this. They must have been master masons at that point. I mean, it's just, it's impressive. Now, this is one that I find very, very interesting. Okay, we look at this. This is Fort Jefferson down in the Florida Keys. Built supposedly in 1867, contains 16 million bricks, guys, and it's built out in the middle of the ocean, right? On an island out in the middle of the ocean. 
And when you look at these walls here, they are massively thick. You can see in, in this picture down here on the lower right, not only how tall they are, but then look how much damage has been inflicted there, how many layers of bricks there are in there. And that thing is just, it's impressive. And uh, so originally what the, the purpose of it was, was to have the Garden Key Lighthouse and the Garden Key Lighthouse's uh, keeper's cottage within the walls of the fort. And then uh, the original lighthouse was taken down in 1877. So it was only up for about 10 years. It seems like an awful lot of work for 10 years worth of use. But what do I know? Now we'll get into some of the different types. Okay, this is the four-pointed star. And what you'll see here, it looks like a, a basic four-pointed snowflake. Okay, this is one from Slovakia in Holich. The historic, uh, historic stronghold was built at the end of the 12th century. Okay, this is a very, now you'll see this is smaller in scale. Okay, and there's just really one tower that's being defended in there. And it was uh, built in the, in the Slovakia-Czech Republic border area. All right, and it's said to be the classicist Baroque construction, whatever that means. I know it's a style. Uh, then we get into the five-pointed star. Okay, this is uh, the one in Copenhagen, Denmark. And you look at it, and again, this looks like your typical snowflake. And what you have is the five-pointed star surrounded by water here, surrounded by another layer on the perimeter. And if you look at the way the, the landscaping goes, the roads go, it probably was another one going out here somewhere too, uh, out to try it to both sides. But then you'll notice in the middle, they have uh, whatever facilities above ground that they're housing there. And uh, this one has two bridge entrances. Okay, one has to come over the Ravelin and the other one is just a direct shot. Now, what I find interesting about this, okay, now, if, if with these being defensive positions, I think you would, you know, if we're going with that angle, this would make sense that you have the two points of the uh, star pointing outward toward the, toward the sea, because that's where your attack's coming from. Um, but what I find interesting is that you have the three points pointing back to the land. Now, if these are some sort of frequency transmitters or, um, you know, energy hubs, then that would mean that they would be essentially with the three pushing that out back into the land and not so much on the defensive side, but you can see both sides of the argument there. I mean, yeah, they, they could have, they could have had multi-purposes, but we do not you know, know for certain. And, you know, looking at the detail of this landscaping here, you can see the slope of the wall, how, how you know, tall that wall is around the perimeter. You have the moat up here, you have the little ravelin, and then, you know, you have your bastion points out to the outside. And you look at the buildings, they are not small buildings. This is a good size star here. This is uh, one of the favorite names, the Long Finney. Okay, then this is at the Citadel of Bitch in Bitch, France. Uh, and basically this is uh, started as a castle and they built the Star Fort around it. 
uh, beginning of the 13th century. So this is one of the earlier ones where essentially they had uh, a castle up here and over time gradually uh, adjusted it to look as it does today, which is, you know, basically a star that's just been stretched out almost like an arrow. Right. If we look at it back here, you have your where you would knock it, knock the arrow and then, uh, you know, you have your point out here. Uh, but this is a very interesting one because you see how steep this hill is. I mean, that's a very large hill to get up there. It's not an easy effort to get up to the top of that hill uh, very easily to defend. So that makes that defense argument very understandable in this case. Then we have uh, the star city as an example, okay? And this is a, the nine-pointed star from pa uh, Palmanova again, okay? It was built by a Venetian, Vincenzo Scamozzi, who I mentioned earlier, um, one of the guys who took over after Michelangelo or improved his style. And he, you know, he designed this nine-pointed star fort. And this is from 1593. And you'll see you have the initial initial star, then you added one layer of defense on the outside, and then you added another layer, larger layer to, on the perimeter out there. And then what you'll also see over here is notice all these fields, right? And they're all different colors. Some are dark green, some are light green, some look like they're dead, some are just dirt. We'll get into those in a little bit, but that's another interesting feature of these star forts and star fort complexes. Now, one of the other things that caught my attention about this Palmanova, and, and this is where you kind of have to be on the visual too, is when you look at this star fort, this nine-pointed star fort, man, it eerily resembles not only CERN, but also the Mayan calendar. And I know the Mayan calendar is only an eight-pointed star, but man, the, you know, the similarities are eerie when you start looking at them and wonder if there's any connection between them. Oh, um, yeah, eerie. This is an interesting one. This, these are the hedgehogs. And these are ones where I question defense notion because what we have here is they are built on the edge of a waterway. And the defensive perimeter is back towards the land. Okay, they do not seem to have a lot of bastions or a lot of outposts on the water where they would face a, you know, a waterbound attack. These are mainly just for pointed back to towards the land, which again is pointing back to where all their fields are. Um, and this one's interesting because, you know, and they call it the hedgehog because it has that spiky look and it's not a full star area. Again, this is one where we mentioned before, maybe part of it fell back into the water, uh, or it was designed this way based on the landscape at hand. But you'll also notice that there's a secondary star here, an eight-pointed star right next to it. And we know the eight-pointed star can be rolled up into a cube, which is, uh, well, no, that's six-pointed star, sorry. Uh, the eight-pointed star can't be. So we're, we're looking at a very interesting setup here, but you have a, you know, look at the size of it. It's a massive area in here of all buildings and architecture that's laid out so next we have the megalopolis okay and this is this is basically the on the uh, island of malta you have uh, floriana and 
this one goes back to the mid 17th century in about 1636 uh, when this, you know, began. And you look at this, this is an entire island. Okay. So this is, this is not only the, the whole area is protected and included, and you'll see inside the island, there's also these geometric star patterns. Okay. That encompasses the whole entire island. So now we look at the standalone star city, okay, which is completely cut off. It's essentially an island. It's surrounded by a moat or a river or, you know, some sort of waterway. This one's an example from the Netherlands, okay? It's, an, it's a drawing of uh, Blue's Tonel de Staden. I butchered that name. So uh, if you really want to get more information on it, look it up by that because I did not do it justice but this one's from 1652 okay and what, what we're seeing here is a let's see two three eleven pointed star which is interesting because this is kind of split too you'll see how the waterway goes right through it so you have you know one chunk over here with some star points out from it you have the main island, so to speak, with its set of star points. You have this outpost over here, and then you have the perimeter, and then you have a waterway um, on each end of this uh, standalone city. But also, you'll notice there's also canals and waterways going off to the side, which goes out to their fields. So this is a, a very, very advanced. And think about the engineering and level of technology it would take to do this. And again, we're talking mid 17th century, 1652. How, you know, how are they doing this? That's what's just amazing. And there's not, there's just not a lot of answers, you know? Uh, and, and again, this is going back to what I said before, where it gets split by a waterway. Now, I, my question would be at one point, was this whole area part of one giant complex and based on some erosion, based on, you know, their decision to, they needed that canal there, did they split the star fort up? Um, because again, you're looking at, at least in this picture, these aren't, you know, these are defending who knows what at this point, but on one side, you know, you have some very steep sides, uh, some, outer perimeters and then on the other side they're not as steep and you have this clear four point star here and then over here you kind of have like a village you know two villages up up here but this seems to be more heavily defended uh, than the other areas would be but again it's another type of star city so to speak now this is what i was getting at before are the field systems that are you know offshoots of these uh, star forts and many of these star forts have these elaborate fields you know and supposedly the fields were used and they were integrated perfectly with the canal uh, you know the canal structures and the auxiliary outpost structures all right and they all work together and basically the, the field system was their showcase right they that was you know, not only did it look amazing, but it was actually from a functional standpoint, 
they had, you know, in each, each area put their own touch on it, you know, different spin, different patterns, um, based on where they were and what they were feeling. Now, the question could be asked, was this field system, you know, some sort of part of some sort of greater grid, you know, or was it used for mass farming? I, you know, what was the purpose of this field system? Because we're talking about large chunks of areas. And here you'll see a couple different examples and how they work it into the land. Right here, you have the waterways around it, canal systems. But you see all the variety of colors, which is different soil types, different plants, things like that. But yeah, look at this. I mean, here you just have whites, blacks, grays. I mean, which would really be greens, browns, and lighter browns on uh, the color. But you see in each, all three of these, they just, it almost looks like a, uh, one of those swirlies. It's, it's kind of an optical illusion almost. All right. Nope. So we get, we were talking about the satellite or auxiliary structures, right? And those are basically structures that are out around the perimeter of, of the facility. They're not really on the main fort itself. Okay. But they serve, you know, they're an outpost, so to speak. And it, it, from what we were looking into, the auxiliary structures appear to be, you know, tied in with the canal and field systems. Um, and, and they vary greatly in size and shape. So you can have some that are, you know, have some sort of geometric pattern, some that kind of look like a bubble, um, bunch of pentagons, triangles, uh, all sorts of different landscapes. And some are just single fortified, some are multi-layer fortifications. Um, but they were usually put in some sort of pattern around the outskirts of the main city. Okay. And they were saying that they could be part of some sort of crop growing system um, that helped as an outpost around the city. It could have been, you know, a supply depot, who knows? Um, but they were, they were all connected by canals usually. Um, and, and some of them could be, you know, large canals and some could be, you know, some that you could step across. So it, they vary greatly from site to site, which is, you know, very interesting because it almost seems like there was this general idea of the star fort out there. And then each area put its own little touch on it, which you see in architecture all the time. Right. But what's fascinating about this is again, we're talking, you know, the 15th, 16th 17th century and you're seeing the same things around the globe consistently um you know and granted now what what is the argument going to be for that well what that's going to be is that obviously these you know where do we see the majority of them france england portugal spain netherlands right and and well then you start seeing them in asia and africa and australia and well those were outposts, right? For those countries, they, you know, had a presence in all those countries. So they would have then likely brought that idea over to the country and then they would have instituted it there. 
if that's what we're believing, you know, as the narrative that these were just, you know, gra- these guys as they got there, okay, we need to build a star fort here. So let's do it. And they did, um, which is quite possible. It's just, I, I wonder how, you know, and, and how did they make it so efficient? How, how, how did they make it so precise? What knowledge did they have to be able to do this? And what we'll see here are the canal systems, okay? And canal systems were essential, right? They were great for transport and for moving people. You know, people, materials, a lot of things can be used on the waterways in addition to being able to be used to irrigate the fields. And to get to the start for it itself, right? And that may have been... it. You know, these star forts could have been all linked together, you know, by some giant system of canals, you know, not, you know, that could have been one one of the ways they move frequencies around. Um, And it could have been an efficient means of transport and communication. But the canals were definitely vital to this whole thing and you'll see how intricate they are here i mean look at the vast size and expanse of this canal system here i mean it goes across the plain and you'll see again look at the field system that goes out there there is a pattern here again we're just seeing you know you have this support canal you'd have a docking area for the ships come in you have the larger canal on the outside um but yeah, these these are quite interesting. Now we get into these, you know, star cities that are islands essentially, right? And and this is just one giant island with bastions every so many feet. Well, we got two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, you know, fourteen or fifteen. Oh, there's more over here. Excuse me. About twenty, twenty-one <clears throat> bastions that are basically a ring around the perimeter and the uh the city is just in the middle of floating. So, you know, it makes you just wonder. That's that's some impressive, impressive architecture right there. Beautiful layout. Here's another one, right? Again, you're looking at a giant star shape. You have the island itself with some bastion outposts. You have the defense in the water. And then you have another layer with the hill embankments. And then over here, you have the traditional snowflake, which they have listed as the citadel. Interesting. Now, another feature of star forts are what we call gardens, right? That's where they, they have these, uh, you know, they're usually in pretty intricate patterns outside the city you know, just on the outskirts of the city. And we'll look here. I mean, they were just beyond the external walls of the city. Um, And sometimes they'd have some areas inside the city where they would have gardens, but for the most part, they were outside. And if you look, there is a certain geometric pattern that they follow in these gardens. So we look at this one. I mean, there's geometry all over angles, um, different shapes, I mean, we look at this, you have the giant cross in the middle, and then you have all these different layouts here. You have that, you know, the, the head and then all the lines shooting out in patterns. I mean, this one 
if you look at this one quickly, this looks like Washington, D.C. This is like, but this is Versailles. So, I mean, this is almost a, a quick glance layout of, of Washington, D.C. here, but it's Versailles of the uh, probably the 18th century. Here's another one. Again, look at the geometry in it throughout the landscaping. It all follows some sort of geometric pattern and flow. Everything has a purpose. And the last one here, again, look at the intricate design, the intricate layout, the patterns that it follows. Very impressive, you know, very impressive, especially for the time. Now we start looking at some of the different fortifications on the outside, right? The different bastion points. You have these different layers, right? There wasn't just one uh, MO for these star forts. Everyone had their own touch that they put on these things. So this is just to give you an idea of how some of the different layouts would be uh, and things they would consider to put. And there's a wide variety. You know, depending on how many how many bastions you wanted to have out front, how many points you wanted to have out front, and uh, what you wanted the overall design layout to look like, and what was the uh, most efficient based on your land area is, is how it's looking. Now, this is Fort McHenry in Baltimore, Maryland. This was built in uh, 1798, and this is where the famous Star Spangled Banner was written by uh, Francis Scott Key during the Battle of Baltimore in the War of 1812. And there's that year again, 1812. Now, if we look at Fort McHenry, I mean, this is a beautiful five-sided five -sided star, um, basically surrounded on the outside with a couple uh, extra points. Again, it's up on a hill, beautiful structure. And uh, we're talking, what, 225 years old? Beautiful. Now, this one is in uh, Nicosia, and this is in uh, 1567, the Venetians built this fortification in Nicosia. Um, this is a uh, nine, I oh, know, what is that? Three, six, eight-pointed, no, no, 11-pointed star, uh, which is a very interesting pattern. It has. It is surrounded by water. Uh, basically, the water source runs to the star fort, around the star fort, and then beyond the star fort. Uh, and what you'll see here is, is within these points is the city center, the highest point being in the middle of it, which again, if we're into the whole looking at the energy side of it, that could be a receptor of some sort. And you do see quite a few uh, towers in here in this drawing. Uh, and again, it is just a drawing. So take it with a grain of salt. Here's one more uh, hedgehog. And again, if you look at it, it's not doing much defense uh, on the seaside. And actually, if you look here, this castle has little to no defense whatsoever on the seaside, uh, which makes me question the defense notion here on a water attack. I mean, the ship is that the, the uh, port is full of ships yet. Uh, you know, what appears to be one of your major castle structures is naked on the sea. Um, all your defenses appear to be out on the land. And again, if you're getting back into, you know, the notion that these are some sort of uh, energy or frequency device that would be emitting that energy or frequency back towards the land, towards the town. Um, so, you know, that is a possibility. 
can't be ruled out. Here's a beautiful star fort from the Netherlands. This is uh, William Stott, which was named after one of their leaders after he passed away. Uh, it was designed by Abraham Andres. Uh, he was one of the more prolific military engineers in the Dutch uh, country at that time. Um, and this was designed around 1583. So we're looking at the end of the 16th century. And what you see here is a six pointed star fort. Well, kind of seven because the top, they kind of split it off in two. Um, but this is a, a, you know, this one is out in the middle of the sea. Um, could be defensive also, but you know, uh, some of the, you know, has these very small tight canals, uh, now, which are used for personal boating, but, um, and you have quite a little, uh, town in, inside of the star fort. So again, you're looking at this, these are not, you know, tiny little structures. They vary in size. Yes. But I mean, some of these smart, uh, star forts are massive. Now what we're going to look at is the uh, layout of some of these across the different countries. Now, if you look at the United States, they are heavily based east of the Mississippi. Okay, you have a handful west of the Mississippi, um, you know, heavy presence all along the east coast of America. Okay, which would make sense if you're debate, you know, our main uh, supposed enemy at the time was coming from Europe. Uh, and possibly Africa, but just it's it's a fascinating drawing to see how it's laid out and how everything is on the East Coast. Now, if we look at Canada, the same thing with them. They have a few rogue ones that are out, uh, you know, some outliers. You have one out here way to the east, and you have one up here to the north. But for the most part, they are right along the Canadian border with New York, Vermont, and Maine. And then you go over the hump of Maine and into the border of the Nova Scotia area. Uh, so again, heavily aimed towards Europe, it appears. Now we look at France. France is an interesting one because theirs is basically surrounding the entire country. They basically have a ring around the country and then they have two random uh star forts identified in paris which is very fascinating because if you look at the rest of them it is a you know a perfect ring essentially around the nation of france and then right here in the middle two star forts again now you know from a defensive standpoint these make sense right and they are relatively close in nature there are a few that are really bunched up um especially on the seaside coasts um they're pretty sporadically spread out on the eastern side of france on the you know border with europe uh heavier down south on either end of the spanish border but the you know the the border itself to come in is is naked it's empty there's not one on the map, at least we get into Germany, Germany, you have basically the same thing, a ring around the perimeter and then one or two inbound on land. Uh, Italy, they're mainly on the Western side of Italy. You do have one out in Venice and uh, one in Northeast Italy, 
Um, but for the most part, they are on the western side of the Italian coast. Norway, we have a handful here spread out down mainly in the southern part of Norway. And then you have the one outlier way up north. Portugal has a handful as well spread out throughout the country. You know, a couple on the coast, a couple on the border with Spain. And then we look at Spain and Spain again, you know, like France has them directly around the perimeter. And then you'll see the one out on the island of Palma. But the interesting thing about the Spanish setup is, is that there are not, they're not in close. Well, they, they are in close proximity to another star fort. So they're basically twins, but they're very far apart um, when it comes to everything else. But they do form quite a uh, concentric pattern. Now we look at the UK, heavy presence in the southern UK. Okay. Southern England, you have, uh, you know, about a dozen or so across the southern border. Same thing with Ireland. Southern Ireland, in, in one area, there's, you know, a handful of star forts just right there. You have one up in Scotland. Uh, I guess you have two up in Scotland. Um, and then one out on the Isle of Man. So again, you know, heavy presence on the south for the UK. Um, again, that would count. That would make sense to defend against the British and the Spanish. Now, here's where it gets interesting, because in the United States, you know, we're we're said to be behind the rest of the world because uh, we were just founded or found dead in 1492 by the wonderful Christopher Columbus. So in the 1850s, I guess to play catch up, they say that over 91 star forts were built in the USA during the 1950s alone. And they varied greatly in shape and size. Um, but so basically all along, for the most part, the East Coast, they were laying up these star forts in the 1850s. And, you know, looking at here, you know, from Fort Massachusetts to Fort Knox, uh, Fort Warren, we, we go down and we get into uh, Fort Jefferson, which we talked about before. OK, Fort McHenry, Fort Niagara, um, Ticonderoga in upstate New York. Um, you just see the variety of sizes. You see some four pointed, some five pointed, uh, some that are surrounded by water, some that appear to have no water. Now, that's an interesting thing now, because just because they don't have water now doesn't mean they weren't near a water source at the time. OK, and that's one of the things we have to kind of look at is were there are there canal systems in the general area and were they basically dried out you know was that one of the ways that they took away their efficiency was to dry them out and remove the water source from around them the direct vicinity of the star fort itself so uh that's an interesting another thing to consider now i'm not sure if many of you are aware of this but the statue of liberty actually stands on a star fort um, and we'll get into that in a minute, but another interesting thing is, is if we connect some loose dots, okay. And again, we're not, I'm not saying this is real, not saying this is true. I'm saying, what if, because is it possible? So we look at the magnetic aura, uh, a magnetic field around the human body, which we call the aura, right? It's invisible to the, to the human eye, but 
we can kind of feel various effects of it, right? You ever get goosebumps on the back of your neck, right? And just get that eerie feeling when somebody walks by. Yeah, that's your aura being touched in a way it didn't like, obviously, or trying to get your attention. And different frequencies cause different changes in that aura. And it, it not only affects us physically, but mentally. Like I said, you get the goosebumps, which should trigger something in your head. So one of the, the questions out there is, is whoever built the cathedrals and the churches and all the pipe organs and the star forts, they likely knew about this impact on frequency and utilized it to their advantage. It could have been a great asset by not only using, you know, paying attention to the land and the geomancy of the land, the harmonics and, and the different layouts that they used were these structures and lands meant to elicit certain emotional responses? Were they, you know, strictly electrical, magnetic, etheric structures? You know, was energy, you know, gathered here and made available elsewhere? Was it, you know, frequency where they, they, you know, essentially towers, emission points? Now, one thing to think about that all sound is vibration, okay? And vibrations affect magnetic fields, including those of our body, right? Different frequencies, different sounds have different vibrations. And they have different effects on our body and our mind, okay? You get the good vibes and bad vibes. Now, one of the things that... Uh, I don't know if many are aware of, it's a thing called cymatics. And what this is, uh, cymatics shows us how geometric shapes take place in magnetic fields. You know, uh, when different um, vibrations and, and frequencies, they're, when they're exposed to them, okay? So as you, as different frequencies and vibrations are are introduced, you will get different shapes. And what's interesting about a lot of them, a lot of the good vibrational tones is you end up with star patterns. Okay. And it's said that they're a way to create energy environment that is both fractal and life enhancing. So that's pretty interesting right there. And if you think about how most of the star forts are near or around water, now we go back to Dr. Emoto, who had his study with frozen water, right? Where he used different frequencies, um, different words. And he found that the water crystals formed different patterns and they were different sacred geometrical patterns. Okay, and many of these same sacred geometrical patterns are the patterns that the star forts take. So, is it just a coincidence, or did the star forts have some abilities that would impact not only those inside the wall but those outside the wall? I don't know, I'm just posing a question here. So for those watching, we're going to watch a quick video here and, and watch what happens when this device called an oscillator, okay? It's, it's using alternating current and it's, uh, you know, for radio frequencies. Watch the patterns that form here. <laughs> 
Tell me they don't look familiar. Look at those. They're all stars. Pretty trippy, huh? Look at that. They're all It looks just like the star forts because it's one star inside of another. And then inside of another sometimes. Oh, right? I mean, that's that's pretty fascinating right there. So you see right there that frequencies have an impact on the shape. Well, if what if you combine that frequency? So now here we're going to get into a little cymatics. Okay, watch the impact that the frequency has on the sand in this. And for those listening, um, you know, I go check out cymatics. Okay, YouTube it or whatever, you know, go to DuckDuckGo and, and look it up and, and watch a cymatic video with sand. Watch the frequency vibrations and see what happens. See the patterns that this sand forms. So you'll see on the left here is the different frequencies that it's, and then the patterns that it's forming. And you see all these geometric patterns vary based on the frequency that's being emitted or that they're being subjected to. And at that frequency, those structures are in harmony. And I mean, these patterns are pretty amazing. A lot of them look like spider webs. And look at that. It's just amazing how they form patterns, specific sacred geometrical designs based on the frequency. They all get in line. Beautiful. So looking at that, you know, that gets us back into the, the water. Right. And if we look at these two pictures here and what I have here is two pictures. Okay. One on the left is from a severely polluted water and you see, it's just a mess. There's no structure to it. It's gross looking. And then the photo on the right hand side is refrozen water after having been blessed by Dr. Emoto. And what you see there is a perfect snowflake an intricate sacred geometric design with a, uh, a hexagon in the center, essentially. And so basically what that's telling you or what that's trying to illustrate is that the impact that frequency, vibration, intention has on water. And if you think about humans, humans, we are 70% water. 80% water, depending on who you are, how much you, how hydrated you are. Okay. Let's take one more look at cymatics here. What you are looking at right now is not CGI or computer animation. It is simply a bowl of water with sound playing beneath. Cymatics is the science of revealing the architecture of sound. Here we have sand on a metal plate. And if you change the frequency of the sound, you can see complex patterns forming. Zooming in even closer on these patterns, you can see what looks like galaxies. Sufi mystic Khazrat Inayat Khan said, Divine sound is the cause of all manifestation. The knower of the mystery of sound knows the mystery of the whole universe. It has also been said that sound is architecture frozen in time. So you may want to ask yourself, 
what type of invisible architecture are you embedding into your subconscious with the music that you listen to? I want you to really, really think about this. That's interesting. Sound is architecture frozen in time. Wow. Here's one last cymatics and then we'll move on. But this stuff just fascinates me with how these videos work. All right, let's see. Let's go. Come on. There we go. Look at these different patterns based on the different hertz on the left-hand side over here. It's amazing. just it's so you know basically i'm beating a dead horse here but what you're seeing is the impact of frequency okay vibration it has an impact on water water is around all of these forts the forts have a sacred geometric layout now where do we also see these sacred geometric layouts well one place that came to my mind were the rose windows in churches and cathedrals right that's where we see these beautiful cymatic patterns in these stained glass windows i mean look here here on the left are all these different sacred geometrical patterns all the different cymatic frequencies and then here you have this window from a church and they look identical okay look at them they all could be a star fort in in a sense Right, that's the layout for the star forts right there. Very interesting. And I wonder if there is some connection, right? We talk about this, about the, you know, the potential of the architecture being connected in some sort of larger ether, you know, ethereal grid. And you know, if you when you start looking at it and you start seeing the similarities, right? The use of cymatics the use of sacred geometry in all the buildings it's it's fascinating and they st you start seeing consistency across the board you start seeing common elements in in places you didn't think you would so here's another star fort from the uh, netherlands in built around the late 17th century 1673 and if you look at this one this looks like one of those snowflakes a nice two, uh, six-sided star fort has a bunch of ravelins out in the water around it to make it look even more intimidating. And this one has quite a large moat, you know, a small lake around the perimeter of it. But then you also see another layer around the outside. So this is well defensed. <clears throat> and again, has that very cymatic pattern to it, that sacred geometric pattern. Here's another one built in 1663. Guys, remember the years that we're, we're saying here? We're saying the 15th, 16th, 17th century. Okay, people are supposedly living in wood, you know, small wood structures, just barely getting by. We're building these elaborate star forts as defensive systems, supposedly from the raiders, the mean raiders that are coming with their cannons. Right, we look at this one from 1841. This is uh, this is a plan that they had for Geneva, 
<clears throat> they got it up, they built it, and within 10 years, they demolished it. Okay, I don't understand. I mean, it couldn't have been that obsolete, that costly that you put in all that effort to build it, only to destroy it 10 years later. I mean, it has that very world's fairy feel to it. Right, We go through all this work to make this beautiful structure, this beautiful fair, and then we burn it down or blow it up, you know, because they were all temporary structures, which many of them very well could have been. But in this instance, look at this layout of this. I mean, this took extravagant planning, excavating, work to get this done and just to destroy it 10 years for a decade, just to use it for a decade. That's just seems like a shame and an utter waste. One of the more beautiful star fort complexes you'll see is in Fort Bortange in the Netherlands. It was built in 1593. And uh, in 1851, it was converted to a small village from a, from a fort where it was a military installation. Now people can live on it. And this is one of the more beautiful. I mean, look at the intricate design of this. There's layer upon layer. Um, you know, every little element of this in, in the star fort is in this layout. And then you look around it. It has, uh, you know, all the fields and the canals and just a beautiful uh, star fort in itself. And, and to think that it was built in the late 16th century and is still up and standing today is Think about that, the level of architecture it must have taken. You know, we, we, we can't build things that last 20 years without falling apart. And these, these things are hundreds of years old. We're talking 400 years at this point. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it was restored in 1750. We look at St. Augustine, which is built in the late 17th century, 1670s. Um, again, just a simple four-sided star, but look at the thickness of the walls. Look how they worked with the perimeter. It has that star shape. Strictly for defensive purposes? I don't know. Here's the one in Portugal that we looked at before that was, you know, built over a 30-year period where they not only, this kind of gives you a better understanding of, look at the size of the hill that they're on, right? And then look at the way that they landscape the hill as well that had to be a feat in itself without washing away the whole hill it follows the exact star pattern look at the amount of levels here one two three four five six seven layers to reach the top i mean that's and that's after trying to get up this massive hill that is a well defensed fortification right there Here's another example. Uh, this basically was a, you know, um, it was a fortified hilltop, but then it became the star-shaped citadel. Uh, it was built in 1749 originally. About 100 years later, in the mid-1800s, they uh, changed it to the star design. Um, all right. Now, like I said before, Statue of Liberty, I'm not sure many of you are aware, is sitting on a massive stone star fort. And it was constructed in 1807, supposedly. 
It was renamed Fort Wood in honor of Army American Army engineer who died in the siege of Fort Erie on the Canadian front in the War of 1812. The remnants of the 11-pointed star fort that protected New York from the British invasion are still visible today at the base on which the Statue of Liberty still stands. I was not aware of that, and that's very interesting placement to put the Statue of Liberty on a star fort. We can go so many different angles with that, but I'm just going to leave that there for now. But do, do a little digging into that one. That's an interesting one. And then also you have Ellis Island, right, which is a, a Fort Gibson. Okay, and that's another, you know, star-shaped structure. Um, it was sold to the federal government in 1808. Uh, the War Department used it as a gun battery, magazine and barracks, um, but it didn't see any action in, 18, in the war 1812. It was mainly used as a garrison in a, uh, a POW camp. Um, then in 1861, it was dismantled and uh, the Navy uh, magazine was set up in its place. And basically, it was used as a supply depot in the Civil War. Um, and then in uh, 1890, it was selected as a new immigration station. And the munition, munitions depot was removed and an immigration station was built. This is the famous Ellis Island. Okay. Now, many people think that uh, this is where they all, all the Statue of Liberty was on Ellis Island. No, it's not. That's one of those Mandela effects. Okay. Uh, we have some star cities here. And what you'll see is you'll notice they're all over the world. You have Frankfurt, Germany, Way, Vietnam. Copenhagen, Denmark. So again, the point of these structures being all over the world. Now, this is an interesting one. This is a fortification that is built on a hilltop, has an interesting layout. It's called Rothenburg Fort in uh, Germany. And it says, after the peace treaty of 1714, uh, Max Emanuel rebuilt a ruined castle on the site as a more powerful modern fortress, which proved its worth in the Austrian War of Succession when it was stood in attack by the Austrian army. After the Napoleonic Wars, the fortress declined in importance, and in 1841, it was abandoned and fell into ruin. So who knows how long it was around? Because um, there was a castle there prior to that 1714 date. So this thing is hundreds of years old. Again, look at the, the, the size of these walls. How are they pulling this off in, in the 18th century? I mean, it's just very amazing, amazing craftsmen they had back then. Here's an example of a four-pointed star. Nothing exciting. Another star city in good old Eris, France. Um, again, you see the Citadel off to the side. Hanover, Germany, another star city. Okay, completely surrounded by water. Another one in Germany. Germany seemed to have a lot of these. Um, this one is built up on a hill. I don't think the blue is water, so to speak. This one is interesting because it was built in the 1540s. And this is one of those hedgehog forts, but it's entirely built on water. 
Okay. It's an island basically with all these, it's almost like an Atlantean layout to it. Very interesting. And it's in Amsterdam. And the last slide I have for you is just to look at how you can see in this photo, there were some ancient city walls and then you had the modern city and they both have that Palmanova um, layout, that circular layout with the lines radiating out almost like the lines in the Zodiac or on a clock. Okay. They're very precise. <clears throat> and then in the outskirts, which you see over here in the right-hand side, again, you see all the fields, right? We talked about that. The canal systems take care of all these fields in the area. So with that said, that is the end of the star fort portion of the show. Um, Thanks for, for joining me for this. Now, when I get into talking about star forts, and one of the things I, you know, I can't emphasize enough is that I'm not telling you anything, okay? What I'm doing is I'm showing you what I found and asking questions. I don't know. Could they be frequency? Could they be, you know, communication devices? Yeah, could they? They might. You never know. Are they likely... Defensive positions could be. Yeah, that's the narrative we're going with right now. But what we have to consider with all these narratives is they've bent history, they've warped history to fit their narrative that they want to tell. Okay. And you have to question it. There's nothing wrong with questioning it. Okay. More people need to question things because what's going on right now around us needs to be questioned and we wouldn't be in the predicament we're in right now. So with that said, uh, I think next next show, we're going to take a look at some uh, just a real high level look at the world's fairs that happened in the U.S. in the late uh from like 1853 in New York all the way up to uh, San Francisco in 1915. We'll take a look at some of the bigger expositions and world fairs. Um, I got some, also have some interviews or uh, conversations lined up with some folks um, that I'm really excited about that we'll have on the show pretty soon. We'll get those out there. Um, every Monday night, we got Monday night master debaters. Uh, I just fired up a telegram so if anyone wants to uh, hop on the telegram, it's, uh, you know, telegram, it's the GD pod. Okay. The GD pod. And uh, if you DM me, if you want at the great deception podcast on Instagram, uh, you can find this video on YouTube, BitChute, and Odyssey. All right, folks. I thank you for your time. Uh, appreciate your support. The, the feedback has been great. I, I truly do appreciate it. Everyone uh, have a great Thanksgiving with your family. Be grateful for what we have. We are truly blessed. No matter how dark times may seem, there is always light at the end of the tunnel. All right. So, uh, you know, right now, especially you know, the, uh, it feels like we're on an emotional roller coaster. The energy's all over the place. Sometimes it's really heavy, sometimes very uplifting, but we have to just go with it. You know, enjoy each day as a blessing and take the next as it comes. But stay safe, stay strong, and question everything. Mm-hmm.
Is there a secret history of the United States intentionally hidden by the mainstream media? Could there be a secret society of fat money businessmen whose agenda has been the cause of every major war and economic depression? Is there a shadowy elite gently pulling the strings of our world to bring about their own self-serving political program? The answers may surprise you. The creation of the Federal Reserve System was about more than just money. Some refer to it as the secret birth of a criminal conspiracy to rob the American middle class of its hard-earned wealth. Others believe it to be part of an attempt to bring the world under the control of a shadowy international elite that calls itself the New World Order.